You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your place for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on those comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Hey, Glenn. Um, I'm, I'm actually, we're in Austin right now, and I guess Austin's famous for having these bats fly out uh, of, uh, from underneath the bridge in downtown Austin. So I got a, a bat-related slash chemistry-related joke. Uh, Perfect. It goes... Sodium, 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 Batman. <laughs> you get it? Yes, very nice, very nice. Because the chemical symbol for sodium is N-A, so that's that nice. would be na 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 batman like the old... And this is also in memory of Adam West, who recently passed away. Yes, perfect dedication, Eric. Exactly. Yes, perfect dedication. Uh... So, uh, Glenn, how you been recently? I have been good, sir. How are you doing? I am. I'm making it through. It's a little hot and humid down here in Austin. Uh, I'm used to that nice dry heat in uh, in Phoenix, but uh, we're making it through. We got a great class uh, this week, and actually, a bunch of people from the class are here. So, with me, um, I feel like Wayne and Garth. With me, as always. Uh, with me, as always, is Penny. Um, say hi, Penny. Hi, Penny. There you go. Um, from, uh, from also from the class here in the hotel room from, uh, San Diego, uh, we have Harris. What's up? And from, uh, the Texas DPS lab, uh, we've got Jack, Amanda, Vanessa, and Judith. Everybody say hi. Hi. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us here tonight. Um, and special guest, uh, all the way up from Houston, kind of back in her old haunt, uh, is Sandy Siegel. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Welcome, Sandy. Uh, yes, yeah, so Sandy's agreed to uh, to sit down with us. She is now a, a recent convert to the Double Loop podcast, and uh, uh, thankfully, she agreed to uh, to sit down with us while I was in Texas uh, and talk about um, you know fingerprint stuff. Fingerprint stuff. <laughs> <laughs> a big fan. Yes. Good, good. You you were one of the proponents of the dad jokes, is that right? There were a couple that were, yeah, I found humorous. And a couple maybe not so much. There were some groaners. <laughs> well, I, I I think the goal should be that they're all groaners. So uh, maybe I need to, to back off and make them a little bit less funny. Um. <laughs> that shouldn't be hard. <laughs> that should be hard. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I see. I see. I see the Texas hospitality here. Okay. Well, for the record, I enjoyed them all. And Jack says he yes, enjoys them all. Thank you, Jack. Um, uh, we, we, Jack and I, have been going back and forth so far in this class, uh, trying to out dad joke each other, um, and uh, uh, to the chagrin of the rest of the class, obviously. Um, so uh, why don't we jump right in uh, with uh, talking with Sandy? Um, Kind of the first question that we usually ask people uh, that we have as interviewees on the podcast is, how did you end up falling into uh, or stumbling into the latent print discipline? Well, like you said, I'm a, I'm a recent convert. I started listening, and I have been doing the binge listening while doing my comparisons. Good. And a, something that I noticed was that 
older examiners stumble into it. I think it's a new <laughs> trend for the newer examiners coming along. They know about it maybe through CSI or, or those different things that they're taking the classes and they're planning for it. So I am older <laughs> and I'm one of the people that stumbled into it. I'm originally from Nebraska. What part of Nebraska? I got, I got family back uh, that's from back there too. Winslow. Is that is that near Lincoln? Population 130. Okay. <laughs> so I'm thinking oh, wow. no. What... It's, it's one of those sneezes, yes. <laughs> uh, which is actually about 12 miles north of Fremont. So it's going to be a little more on the east side. On the east side, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I joined the Air Force. That's what got me to Texas. Uh, what did you do in the Air Force? Radar. Radar, okay. So it really didn't have any direct civilian jobs. So once I got out, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Right. My first job was making driver's licenses for the state of Texas. They, they were contracted <laughs> by the DPS. So I wanted to get on with DPS. I did, but my first job was with statistical services. And that was where we kept the accident reports for six months as Detective reports came in, officers, uh, I think it's called an SR-12 or 22 or something, the, the person telling their part of the story. So we were waiting six months to get all the documents in. Then it went across the hall and they kept track of all the information, cars, this type of thing and that. Uh, like one of the things that we did was, anyone remember the Suzuki Samurai? <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of many cars that I would struggle to fit into, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't fit into mine then. Okay. <laughs> I have a Nissan Juke. <laughs> but but one of the th as an example, one of the things that they did as far as statistical services, they did reports as far as finding how many Suzuki Samurais and accidents they were in, and they used that information to find out that they were a safe vehicle. Right. So that's why you they really don't see them anymore. So statistical services wasn't very fun. I applied for everything that came along to try to get out of that. I even applied for one job that was above my head and I actually walked out of the interview. I said, I have no business being here and walked out. <laughs> applied for this fingerprint job. Again, had no clue what it was, right. but it was uh, crime records. Okay. So I spent 13 years in crime records doing Henry. I love Henry classification. I may be the last person that, that does. No, you're not. Yay! We, uh, got a, we got a couple people here that had spent some time doing Henry here in Texas. And, okay. um, and Jack was saying he was even going to get like a, a Henry classification tattoo, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, as soon as I get a good set of knowns on my son, that's that's what we're getting. There you go. Um, so there, there's still some 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 people uh, around that, uh, that love Henry. It'll, it'll last for at least one more generation before it finally, uh, yeah, people just don't remember it anymore. I'm still teaching pattern interpretation. I think it's very important for basis. Right. So that's in my basic class. And I am teaching the workshop at the II later in August. Okay. So I am teaching that as a workshop pattern interpretation. Well, it's also part of the certification test. So I think people really need that information. Right. And then, so I got this fingerprint job, enjoyed it, found out. That's how I found out about latent work. So I'm one of those folks that kind of fell into it. I didn't get a job at DPS. I actually ended up in Austin. I was there for 11 years. I love it. And uh, but three years ago, I applied for this new thing called the Houston Forensic Science Center. Yes. 
and it's a corporation that is owned by the city of Houston, right. based upon the NAS report of being separated from the police department. So we're we are separated from the police department. Are you um, are, are you in a new building now, or are you still in the the Houston PD building? It's still kind of a hybrid okay. through attrition. We we still have some officers, and as they leave, they are being filled with civilians. Okay. Civilians. But is it, is it the same building still, or is it a separate? I started in the police department. Okay. But about a year ago, we moved a couple blocks down to another building. Okay. So now I am really separated from the police department. Got it. Got hey, Sandy. Yeah. Sir. So before we get into um, you know your 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 newer position with the Forensic Science Center. Uh, can we talk about Austin a little bit? Um, and, and, and um, you know, when you were there, uh, you know, you worked for a guy by the name of Charlie Parker, and maybe some of the listeners remember Charlie. Um, but um, if you could yeah. just uh, talk a little bit about uh, your your, um, your time there at Austin and some of the things that you guys did. I was fortunate to have my mentor as Charles Parker uh, I was actually going to talk about him earlier as far as Henry classification. He yep. used to tease me. He would walk up behind me and he would go, Henry's dead. Because he knew it would I still <laughs> like doing Henry. So uh, he would do that to tease me. But uh, yes, Charles Parker, he loved sharing information. So I do this thing called FIGS, right. which is fingerprint interest group. The S is by Sandy. Okay. Because... When Charlie started it, I think roughly in 2005, it was, was FIG, Fingerprint Interest Group. Right. And that is about the sharing of information. It actually started out with images. Um, I, I call them mini lessons now because it's, uh, you've got the latent that has some interesting aspect to it. And so we would do the comparison and um, talk about the comments as, as to why this is interesting and that type of thing. So it actually started with Charlie, after he passed away, I took it over. It, it's through email. Right. Right. I, and I think the reason I think the reason that people like it is because it's emails that's coming to them. Uh, the information that we're sharing are articles, training, images, just what anything forensic related, really. Yeah. In fact, think, that's that's one of the things I really enjoy, and both you and Charlie were great at that that people would send you these really interesting cases or just examples of distortion, which yeah. you would send out. And, you know, people who, uh, you know, had a collection of, well, if I want to see some good examples of double taps here, now I have a dozen images of different kinds of double taps. Or if I want different kinds of twisting, here's 12 different images of twisting, which uh, on the one hand can be useful for court presentations. You know, if you need to demonstrate to jurors what you're talking about, here are examples. And on the other hand, it builds this database of actual images, not just examples examiners had seen at one point in their career, but actual images that they could hold on to if they ever needed them uh, for demonstrative purposes. And I really loved that sharing of information. Even if it, some of it was basic information, some of those uh, case studies were actually very, very, very cool. Yeah, and um, some of the people here in the room uh, have seen uh, maybe half a dozen or so so far because uh, when Penny and I were putting this class together, that was a great resource to, to go online. Because uh, for a long time, I'm not sure if it's there anymore, but for a long time, it was on the, the uh, CLPEX website. And um, you know, there was, there's certain examples there that 
you know, although you may kind of collect special, you know, images or special comparisons over time, you know, this was kind of a repository of everybody's most special comparison right. for a long time. And some of them have worked out really well as, as great examples of certain aspects that we want to talk about in the class. And, um, you know, it, it can either be, you know, a great um, sample for um, comparison or just as a, a starting point to start off a conversation. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. It's I, a great learning tool. I, know, I noticed recently that it is no longer on CLPEX. Right. But I have all those images and I'm going to talk to Ed German and see if he wants to put them on, on, in. on in. Yeah. Great. So, Great. So we have that other resource. And I think I'm going to do like you, Glenn. I'm going to have some CDs with me in, <laughs> yeah. at the IAI. And uh, I'm going to pass him out at my classes as far as all of the figs. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I'll I trade you I'm a new Holy Grail you. CD for your new fig CD. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Yes. Uh, you were, um, at some point we may have to, to jump ahead to, uh, to, to jump drives, uh, <laughs> and move past the, uh, the, you know, the, the CD technology, but, um, uh, they're still so cheap to burn one off and hand them around. Uh, that's probably still going to be the way to go for a while. <laughs> I will have them on a thumb drive. And so if I'm in class and someone brings a thumb drive, I will give them that. I always take a thumb drive to whatever class I am that I go to. Because instructors are just like me. They're sharing that information. And so anytime you go to a class, take a thumb drive with you. And bring your stuff too, like whatever you have. Sure. Uh, if you can share even just your own agency's policies, there's going to be a whole lot of people in, your, in the class with you that are going to want copies just to kind of help out the next time they have to go through a policy change. And, and being able to share that kind of information is great. That's yeah, another true. aspect. Yeah, that's another aspect of FIGS is that people will send in a question. I'd send it out to everybody, collect those responses, and then send those responses out to everybody. For those folks that have been on FIGS since 2005, they will tell me, hey, I've still got all those from Charlie. They saved those. Yeah. They've been saving them for 12 years. When I was at the II last year, Ed German asked me to, to put those on on end. So I yes. may put all that together and talk to Ed and get those back out there where people can use them. Yeah, that's available. Boy, you folks. give you give that guy some data and he uh, he knows what to do with it. Um, Ed would be great to you know, have that collection yeah. and to um, to kind of archive it on his site and make it uh, widely available. That'd be that a fantastic. Be. I mean, yeah, you're talking 12 years of, of question and answers from you know, people all over the country and beyond. Yeah. Uh, so, Sandy, I've got uh, one more question for you about Austin, and I'll just give you a little background here, too. Um, in the exclusion class that John and I teach, John Black and I, uh, we actually talk quite a bit about Austin because we, and I, I'm, and I'm not sure if they do in, in your class, Eric, so if I'm stepping on your material, I do, oh, I do no apologize. But one of the things that we note was that Austin was really one of the first agencies to have a written policy about sufficiency criteria, uh, particularly for what would be determined for value. And, uh, you know, I know it started with Charlie. And it's interesting. One of the things that we also uh, compare 
is the original policy, which was very approach one. You know, if it was for value, then it was identifiable or non-ident. There was no inconclusive. It, you know, it was a very strict approach one. But then later it changed, I think, when you became supervisor and looked much more approach two, where you were keeping things for exclusionary purposes. And then I think even after you left, it, it changed again and became a little bit more like a morph between Eric and Alice's approach. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that process of first writing a policy for sufficiency, because again, you guys really did, um, you really were one of the first agencies we'd ever seen do that in the United States and be willing to put down in writing, we're looking for approximately eight minutiae, give or take, depending on level three detail and et cetera, et cetera, and several caveats. But you really were the first agency to put something in writing about that. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I'd like to talk about, the inconclusive and then also the sufficiency. I remember way back, and, and I think this was for most agencies, it was an ID or uh, no ID at that time. No you ID were, affected, yeah. You weren't able to use inconclusive. And I had a print at that time where I had four minutiae. But there was this open field of 22 ridges, which you really I remember don't see that very case. often. You remember that, Brett? I do. I remember still... you sent that out as a fig. I think I still have it somewhere. It's an amazing image. Can you send it to me? Because <laughs> can't find of it. all people, I, 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 I didn't save it. But that was in 2005. At that time, we couldn't do inconclusive. And this print is the one that told me that we really need that ability. Because 22, what, what, what's the weight of 22 ridges in an open field? You really don't see that very often. Uh, you can really use it for exclusion, but maybe not MID. And, and I really liked, that's why I, well, I like inconclusive. At that time, I had to call that print a non-ID, which really oh, and, stuck and, with me. And Sandy, can we, we, can we just clarify something? Sure. When you're talking about at that time, we're talking about 10 years ago. This wasn't like yes. 30 years, years ago. ago. This was right. just 10 years ago. Inconclusive <laughs> really is fairly new when you talk about doing fingerprints over 100 years. Right. And, and exclusion as well. Newer. In, yes. in the way that people are using it now. Correct. Yeah. So that's uh, inconclusive. Now you want to talk about the sufficiency. Most of that was Charlie, and I remember when, when I first started, we had no number. Then we went to a four. I always felt four was too low. I like six, and right now in Houston, we're working under eight. I think eight is really too high because you're leaving a lot on the table. You can do something with six. Um, so I've been under zero, four, six, and eight. I think six with other things is is a good number, and we really did steal a lot from Las Vegas. Yeah. So we, at that time, as a unit, talked about a lot. We borrowed from them, and at the time, it was six. I found out today, Austin has gone to eight. Okay. Yeah. They now have an eight eight point policy. Now this is uh, eight. This is at uh, the very beginning. This is suitability. Um, this is this is if it has eight or more, definitely going to start the comparison. Is that right? Right. Determine if it's a value. Yes. And then obviously, therefore, 
everything that you then later ID is also going to have that eight. Um, and are there allowances for the prints that have the six or seven uh, and look pretty good? Maybe have the 22 uh, Rage Open Field? I recall I caveats that, that they do, like, like Las Vegas Metro, they have caveats that under certain circumstances, if the case warrants, um, you, an examiner may go below that if blah, blah, blah. When you have that, when it was six, yes, you know, rarity, specificity, that kind of thing. We do not have that in Houston. It no, is eight. It is eight. You have to have the eight. Okay. Uh, but I talked to uh, Austin today as to why they went from a six to an eight. And some of it was due to, I think the word they use now is utility. Yeah. Uh, they were spending too much time doing the comparisons, too much time doing the tech reviews when I was at six. And they felt that at six, they were fortunate to get to the six. And so they went to eight. Okay. Um, they found that it, they are able to do more work and that because they're able to do more work, now they're doing 100% verification. Very good. So, so it was more of a part of it was the utility. Okay. Uh, part of it was just being able to do more uh, prints, cases, and that kind of thing. So I found it interesting they went from a six to an eight. Thanks, Sandy, for sharing. We, we have an eight, and I've been wanting to go to a six. But... <laughs> it's it well, is just know. seven. You know, <laughs> lucky number seven split the difference. Yeah. And that's like the FBI anyway. They they have seven, so that, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, now, uh, I mean, this is back in 2005. This is before any of the good research that we have now comes right. out. Um, and after all these years... Uh, you know, things like the white box study puts it somewhere around seven or eight uh, as what most examiners do on, or use on average, or most examiners have on average when they say it's suitable, I'm going to give it a shot from here. When you look at low card, he was saying that back in That's true. We were just talking right? about that yesterday in the right. class, the tripartite rule, um, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, 12 and above, you're good to go. Between eight and 12, it depends on how clear things are mm -hmm. and, and some third level stuff right. and but then there's the third part that nobody wants to talk about which is the if you have less than eight then it's a probability and most examiners nowadays are like Shh, don't don't yeah don't talk about that part <laughs> we don't we don't want to deal with probabilities we're just gonna the first two parts though low card you did perfect <laughs> that was great that was great stuff we like it um right, right. Uh, but part three yeah, maybe not so much we're, we're, I've been promising my class here, so everyone here is listening, that we're, we're, we'll talk about some probability stuff tomorrow. Because uh, they've been kind of hinting, asking what I think of uh, of Henry Swafford's stuff. So that'll be for, uh, we'll save that good stuff for tomorrow, right guys? Yeah, All right. no way. <laughs> I do want to say that if you have an interesting image, I will do a fig. The newer folks don't know about the, the mini, image part mini of lessons, because I haven't done one. Right in a while but if someone sends me an image i will mark it up and we always gave credit so i never took credit for someone else's print uh jackie was just telling us earlier about how he had an image that made it in as a fig right yes uh, back when charlie was running it sure. uh, when he was still just doing temperance 
Uh, and that was part, that was a big boost for him and kind of an inspiration to get in more into latents and kind of be where he is now. So, um, and then yesterday you showed Penny and I, today. A com was it today? It was today. Oh, jeez, yes. it's been a long day. <laughs> um, today, uh, he showed us an image, um, of, uh, a, a loop that goes up really high on the core and, um. If you start, let's just go. If you go right into the minutia, um, there is a clear, clear discrepancies. And okay, this set of you know six, seven minutia line up, but it does not count out to the minutia right next to the core below it. Um, but very, very subtly, there is this indication that there's multiple touches. But ooh, it is, it is tough to see and. That was my, what was my recommendation? Send it to Sandy and let her get it out to, for the rest of the uh, you know the country to see the rest of the the interest group to see because that is a that really is a fantastic example of uh, double taps um, with very subtle clues uh, that could definitely throw some people off. I do have to add one thing with the figs. Microsoft has been blocking me and marking me as spam. So I usually have to wait a day or two for IT to <laughs> reset my account. So if you haven't seen anything from me in a while, that's why. Okay. If, if this continues to be a problem, I may have to rethink and try something else. Uh, I don't know at this point, but I'm going to continue because my agency is very supportive of it. Right. I actually kind of hid it from them for the first couple of years because I was afraid if they knew what I was doing, they would tell me to stop. So I was very happy when when they found out about it that they and were okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think um, there's there's options out there to send out mass emails through different services where it won't get marked that way, right. um, and it may even be in the end be easier for you to maintain your email list um, and let people you know unsubscribe. Because I'm sure it happens occasionally where you start sending stuff out and someone you know moves on and does something else and all of a sudden their email starts sending you back. They don't no longer here anymore. Um, it lets me on vacation. Once, yeah, yeah, I, I get them. It's funny because I know when everybody's taking vacation, they <laughs> wonder I'm returning to leave. And I've learned not to do it a week before the IAI. There you go. <laughs> so. Um, uh, yeah, I think there's some services out there that may even actually make it easier for you and not have this whole spam problem. So, you know, now that you're kind of the, you know, official or unofficial, um, you know, email chain for the latent print community in at least the U.S., if not beyond, um, that uh, may be a step to take. No, I'm covering the whole world. Yeah. I've got Australia, England, several from Switzerland. Nice. Canada. Um, so it is, it is international. We were talking about this earlier today. Fingerprints are international. Uh, I was telling the story about uh, you know teaching in in Taiwan with Penny and how even when they were arguing back and forth with each other about a comparison in Chinese, we could still tell what they were saying <laughs> because of what they were pointing at and how how awesome. <laughs> how 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 forceful they were when they were pointing at different uh, different minutia. There's there's definitely an international uh, language of fingerprints. Um, <laughs> But, uh, uh, so yeah, now you're in Houston, I'm in um, Houston. and, um, you're working at probably the, the biggest, uh, like public private lab in the country. Um, 
There's there's not many that I'm aware of besides Houston. I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Um, so how has it been different than your previous experience here in Austin? I'm really not seeing much of a difference. Really? Well, because... It's all the same pe- it's kind of people, right? Doing the same work, the same people. Even when I was in Austin, we were kind of separated from detectives. Right. Because you're in a secure building, they can't come in and look over your shoulder. But we did have the ability to email them. Okay. Right now, we have quiet services. So a detective will not call me directly. Oh, they okay. will go to client services. They will answer the question if they can. If they can't, then I will get that yeah, ability right. to, to talk to them. But there, there is that extra layer between us, client services. Okay, it was funny at first. I thought she said quiet services, and <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, they, they, you're, does that mean the detectives are starting? They have to be quiet. They can't. They can't come talk to you, but. Client services, okay. Wait, Sandy? Glenn. Sir? Yeah, so I, I was going to ask Sandy a question about that. I'm actually very interested in this idea of client services. Yes. It, you're right. It does provide a very nice layer. So if I could, Sandy, how, about how many Oh, about how many questions would you say you get uh, per week through client services that come through you guys? And then what types of questions do you find that they're asking? Very few. And it's usually a question about my report. Like what? Terminology or what the hell does inconclusive mean? mean or? Yeah, to, to explain something in my report. They have never asked me to be inconclusive. But uh, it's not very often that I'm talking to them. So most of the time the question can get answered by the, the client services people. Yeah, we even have reports that we write if we're looking for information. Because they'll give you the name, but not that unique identifying number. Right. And in Austin, we would call them and say, hey, we need this number, where we would have that that contact with them. But we actually have a report that says, we need this information. Your report's going to be admin closed. If you need it, you need to send us this information. So that's another layer of separation. So in the past, where like a lot of times what we'll be doing is... is is actually trying to get a hold of the officer or detective right. and say, hey, what's this guy's birthday? What's his you know, right. SID number? What's his FBI number or something? Sure. Um, you guys just cut a report asking for that stuff. And if they don't ever respond, then there you go. Done. Case over. Right. Not a bad idea. <laughs> another Imagine another that. step to cut the backlog down a little bit. Well, you know Getting everything you need before you yeah. do your exams. Yeah, because you're sitting there with that open report, you're waiting for them a week, two weeks, you send two emails, three emails, yep. it can be frustrating. Absolutely. And you're just dealing with one agency. You know, Glenn and I and most people here in this room, you know, we're dealing with with the whole state and, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, Texas is, is its own kind of thing with their 200 and some odd counties. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, I mean, Arizona and Minnesota, we're pretty big states too, and and uh, you, you end up serving a whole lot of customers and, and trying to get a hold of somebody, you know, a few counties away and, and a, you know, kind of a few steps away from you um, down different chains of command. Yeah. Um, sometimes you're, uh, it's surprising when you actually do get a hold of somebody. Yeah. I'm not seeing big differences. You know, I'm just 
at my desk and parent and yeah how like with i mean there's always the politics of of government interacting with the forensic science lab um is that is it still all the same there are the politics all still there or is it is it is it better in any way than austin or from what you've heard around the water cooler from the way things used to be in houston when it was a part of the pd well i have this habit of trying to stay under the radar <laughs> <laughs> so i try that. to stay politics so i'm i'm like the last person to ask if you want to know what's going on got it got it <laughs> Yeah, I have that trouble sometimes. Maybe it's because I'm just too damn tall and can't stay under the radar. I'm just too noticeable sometimes. <laughs> sometimes there's benefits to being five foot. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you don't hit your head on as many things in, in you know actuality or in you know the political structure of your organization. So, uh, in general, though, is is this setup, this public-private setup, is that something you'd recommend? Uh, with the separation, any pluses and minuses that go along with that for other agencies around the country? My personal point of view. Yes. I kind of struggle with this thing saying because we have information, we're biased. Or, I, re or I, I really do. Even because if that's telling me I, doing something I'm, bad. Not, I'm doing something bad, right. I don't know my work. And there's always that thing, once you know about a bias, you can guard against it. So. My own personal point of view, I think what it's doing is just maybe removing that perception of a bias. Because a bias is still a personal thing. You know, you can you still make that decision. I think it's removing that perception. But that's my own personal point of view. So maybe the 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 bias, which has negative connotations, but maybe it shouldn't. Right. Maybe it should just mean we have this information and most of the time it doesn't actually affect us at all. Uh, but having this separation from the actual PD, this this different way to set up a crime lab, maybe isn't uh, as separate uh, as um, people think it is. But that that impression that things are more separate um, kind of makes people people feel better about uh, the way things are set up. Hey, Sandy, would you say that the setup that you have right now? Uh, defense attorneys uh, in some way have access to information differently. Uh, just to, a quick example, the, the DC lab, that was one of the th things that they touted was that defense attorneys could, could come very freely, uh, examine things there, request examinations, have the same access to information that prosecutors had. And so it was supposed to be a very neutral entity is that they were doing forensic testing and it was the same access to tests and information for either side. Has uh, this Houston Forensic Science Center, have they set up something similar for defense attorneys there? Yes, that's what our client services does. That, that's one of their duties. Is, is feeling those calls from the defense attorneys? Correct. All things like cars and everything, mm -hmm. they report all that. That is all public. Right. So that's, that's, that's the, the same correct other agencies. Okay. Uh, so... So can the defense attorney actually make a request for additional testing in a case? I don't know. You're not sure? I no. hadn't heard, had that question or even thought about that, but all of our reports have, uh, the information is how to get a hold of client services. Right. So they get the report, they have that information. Okay. So. Um, and, do, and do you perform value for exclusion decisions there? 
do you compare the prints that are valued for exclusion only? So maybe it doesn't have the the eight minutia uh, that you would need to yes. start comparing, but it does have like say a really clear delta, but only six minutia around it. So theoretically, you could exclude somebody with all arches really easily. Would you go ahead and compare that print to uh, to people? We do exclusions as long as it's got those eight points. Okay, so it still needs to have those I eight see. points. Okay. okay. Yeah, I was wondering. Right. Yeah, I was wondering. Right. Yeah, we have I was wondering too many conclusives. Uh, right. Um, needing better knowns and uh, just because the latent isn't isn't uh, as good as you'd hoped it would be. Yeah, agreement, but not enough. Right. That's that's the general crux, but I think there's better wording for it. Okay. So well, and I think uh, Glenn that maybe the. Uh, you know, they, maybe the, the DC lab here in Houston lab is you know, maybe in just two different concepts or two different examples of how to set this up. Um, I, I would I would venture a, a you know very wild statement to say that the the, the general culture, uh, the courts and you know the lawyers and everything are slightly different in DC versus Houston, Texas. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's going on too far of a limb and. Uh, but that may be part of the differences that you would see in the implementation of, of the public-private lab like this. Is maybe even it's just down to uh, you know differences in the way those two cities are run. I right. think all labs are different. Exactly. All states are different. You know, all of that. I have been contacted by someone in Nebraska, and they were asking because they were leaning in that direction of doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I talked to people in Nebraska that, that are looking at that because um, you know, they've they've gone through some other their own issues out in Nebraska, depending on what, even which lab you're talking about. But uh, um, yeah, I think it's um, that that that's definitely interesting. Um, I have a, a follow up question. Just uh, I'm, and again, I'm not sure if you wouldn't even know, but um, when it comes down to to the funding mechanism. Um, does the city fund your guys' lab as part of the PD, or is your budget completely separate from the PD? I believe it is separate from completely the PD. Okay. It is coming from the city. From the city, completely separate. Uh, well, I, one one question about uh, the setup here. Uh, have, have your laboratory administrators had a chance to talk about what's different at an administrative level because you've been talking about the operational level and I, i'm not terribly surprised that things aren't that different you get evidence and you examine it you report it but i was wondering uh, about the administrative level and uh, some of the dealings that they have because you're, you're no longer beholden to sheriffs or the whims of certain politics you're now subjected to a, what a board of directors so what kind of administrative differences do you see i don't think i'm really seeing any difference I mean, just maybe a different chief, but I'm still an Indian. <laughs> so, if there are any differences, it hasn't filtered down to your level yet. No. Okay. Okay. Do you, do you guys, in the same way, have certain priorities? For example, again, a sheriff might look at a certain kind of crime and go, "Okay, we're going to get tough on drugs, so we're going to start doing this and have these task force, so we're going to see more drug evidence." Or they might, you know, try to attack the opiate problem or guns. That's our big platform is getting gun, you know, legal guns off the street. Do you guys see those same kinds of politics and the evidence and cases that you get? No. Okay. 
the only thing is I had some dignitary whose house was broken in, and so his case, of course, went a bit ahead of the backlog. <laughs> <laughs> Other than <laughs> there's there's always somebody that uh, you know that that has enough pull to get their case investigated, you know, at a higher level than than just the average case. Uh, um, so I'm not surprised to hear that because it, it does seem to be. There's always somebody that can whisper into somebody's ear uh, at, at some level, and even if it's just a different ear, that, that there's still that ear to whisper into. Yeah. My uh, manager tries to take that stuff of it, that stuff, and shield us from that, so that we can just stick the casework. Right. That's good. It sounds like it, it's been pretty successful. If you, you know, if you if you're not getting that sense. Um, you know, overall, for the most part, uh, of any of the, you know, the politics or struggle that goes on uh, up the chain. So that's great. All right. Well, you know, Sandy, I, as we wrap up here, I just I want to ask you a question about what do you see would be uh, maybe the next most important change in the field that will advance the field? What kinds of things would you like to see happen here um, you know, in the latter half of your career? Even though I think we're all struggling with the probability and statistical thing, I don't think we can stop that. That's common. Right. Just a nice transition into that information, training, so that when I get to that point and I have to testify, I can testify to that. that that's kind of what I think is a concern for a lot of people is how to testify to that stuff. Right. I'm not... Statistician. I've taken your class, Glenn, and I understood it at the time, but as soon as I walked out the door, I'm sorry. Hmm. <laughs> it stayed in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, do you want to see it happen, though? I mean, that's really what I'm asking you. Is, is it something that you want to see and do you think it will benefit the field? I did not in the beginning. Right. I'm starting to see where, as long as we're still doing our comparison to bring in as a support, it should not replace what we're doing. Right. Mm. As a support. Yeah. Um, so you're, as long as you can see it as a support and you get to the point where you're comfortable explaining it uh, in the court as like the expert on this, this subject, right. despite not being a statistician. Um, then you're, you're seeing it as then a net positive thing for the field? I'm getting there. You're getting there. <laughs> that's a fair answer. Fair answer. Um, I can't. That's the, that's the best I can hope for from a Texan. From a Texan? <laughs> <laughs> Easy, Glenn. Easy. <laughs> I guess I've been here long enough now I am a Texan. Oh, you, you, you still think of yourself as a Nebraskan then? That's a Nebraskan in Texas? Oh, always. Always will be? Okay. Yeah. Always. Okay. Well, they say right. you can take the girl out of the country, but you can't, can't take the country, country out of the girl. girl. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ain't that the truth? Um, it was just like you, Glenn. I'm sure you still consider yourself a Detroit boy, right? You know, I do. You're right. You're absolutely right. That's a that's a damn fine point. I Even though I've been in Minnesota over 20-some years, I'm still yeah. a Detroiter. Yeah, there you go. It comes out uh, when I drink. You, you, you'll realize I'm much more mature, more different. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, uh, Sandy, uh, do you want to mention any kind of uh, uh, 
training that you might be offering here coming up and how people can get a hold of you if they're interested in that? I am still training. Uh, where our training division has been disbanded and so I was concerned whether I continue to be able to train or not. But they're going to let me continue to train. But I've taken my three classes. I had a, actually there was four. I'm no longer teaching the palm class and I'm taking my basic, intermediate, and advanced and I'm putting the same information but I'm compacting it into two classes. Okay. The best advice I ever got was from Max Brazil. Okay. He, I took his orientation class last year, excellent class, I recommend it. And he said, well, people have asked him to teach other things. He said, well, this is what I know, and I'm going to put all my energy in this so that I can teach it the best. And after I thought about that, I looked at my advanced class and I thought, well, there's some things in here I shouldn't be teaching. <laughs> so I take those out. And I felt like I was taking a couple of presentations and stretching throughout a week, and I didn't think that was fair to people. Right. So I'm taking, there's a couple of presentations. I do teach a simultaneous and a forged fabricated and a footprint. So that was pretty much my my advanced class. <laughs> but I'm taking the, I'm going to still do the simultaneous, but the footprints is now actually going to be part of my orientation because there's excellent clues that tell you whether it's a foot or not. People need to know that. Yes. But it doesn't need to be a 30-hour presentation. And then my forced and fabricated was the same thing, is there's excellent information in there, but I can't teach it as well as Pat Wartime did. So I'm going to take the the, the, the the clues and put them in my distortion class. You know, if it's a square print, what's the background, and that type of thing. So I'm, I am still going to be teaching the basic and an intermediate. And I am going to have one, the intermediate class coming up in October. Okay. I generally get Texas folks, but it is open to anybody. And as soon as I get it, I will advertise through Figs. It will be advertised, I think, maybe on the IR website as well as the Texas division. So it will be blasted out. It'll be out there. And but anyone. Is that going to be down in Houston? Yes. Down in Houston. I'm no longer traveling. A traveling trainer, I, you let those people come to you. I found me a permanent place. There you go. <laughs> well, you are going to Atlanta. I'm going to Atlanta, and I'm doing three of my my presentations. I am going to do pattern interpretation, my distortion, and my orientation. Uh, and uh, if people are interested in getting onto your email list or even contacting you about these training classes, uh, what's your email address to uh, to, to contact you? S Siegel, which is going to be S S I E G E L at Houston Forensic Science dot org. I know it's long. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted HFS dot org, but right. that was actually already taken by I think it was the Houston Skating something. Figure Skating Association yeah, or something it like was, that. It was. It was taken by the Houston Figure Skating. Corporation, okay. Yeah. Commission or <laughs> something. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so right. yeah, email me. Um, uh, put you on the fig list. Right. Hopefully, work out <laughs> the spam filter thing from there. Absolutely. Correct. Uh, I would like to mention one thing. Yeah. I'm also the coordinator for the Quip 
which is questionable, unique, and interesting patterns in the back of the JFI. Yes. So I'm, I'm like the acronym queen at this point. Um, <laughs> but so if you find an interesting pattern type, you can send those to me as well. I am looking for those because I'm running low on my quits. Jack actually showed us one. Uh, we're hoping to, to, to have him send you too. Exactly. Or it's a it's a palm where the uh, the um, the carpal delta is fully fully all the way in the thinner area. Um, not even close to the bottom crease anymore. Um, it again when I did my palm paper uh, a few years back, didn't see a single palm like that. Uh, it uh, definitely unique. So. For Jack and for anyone else out there listening that finds some sort of weird, interesting, uh, just crazy pattern, usually on a 10 print uh, card uh, or a known card. Quit is 10 prints, figs is latents. Right. So Send it into Sandy as well. And anything, and you get always get the credit for it. Anything <laughs> interesting, I will get it out to the community. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Sandy, for joining us. Uh, as always, listen to us every week uh, on uh, the Double Loop Podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or on iTunes. You can email us, glenn at eliteforensicservices.com uh, or eric at rayforensics.com. Uh, and I think from the uh, the cheap seats back here, we have one more comment before we close out. Is Glenn still on the horn? Uh, he is. I love his magic. He took his class in Carlsbad, his exclusion class. Has he found another individual that he couldn't read on his poker So... Uh, Glenn, before we close out, we have uh, here in the room the person you couldn't read doing your magic uh, out in California. Uh, uh -huh. Is he still the only person that you've had trouble reading like that? Yes. In fact, uh, since he's going to bring it up, uh, this is this is actually that has now become a story in class. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll tell the story, and then you can you can relate it uh, to to him. Yeah. So. Uh, in doing this particular magic trick where I need to be able to read the individual, uh, I used to let the class randomly pick someone. And um, and then they'd go through and pick a word in a book, and then I'd go through my little litany with, with, uh, with the individual. Right. But uh, the, the class had picked him, and um, I got 30 seconds into my questions of yes, no, etc., and I realized... Oh no, I'm dead. Uh, I can't get a single beat off of this guy. And I just stopped and went, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I just told the class, and this, I said, this isn't part of the job. I, I, I'm not going to be able to do it with, with him. Uh, and then my first question to him was, are you a professional poker player? To which he said, yes, I play professional poker and I play several nights a week and I won all this money in poker. And I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> so so now you, since, you have to let the class pick, pick somebody. Uh, you know, you know that that, that pick, pick anybody you want that's not a professional poker player. <laughs> yeah, and it was completely random. They didn't know this about him. No, no right. one had known this. So since then, I've I've changed it. Uh, I stacked the deck now. Two things. I always choose a female participant um, <laughs> for several reasons. I mean, there's actually psychology behind choosing a female participant. Uh, they have more tells, and particularly the more sympathetic. Uh, to someone who uh, is performing, because they they feel they feel bad if 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 he's not going to get it right, whereas guys <laughs> take the light in the torture of of other guys. Well, so, yeah, of course, duh. right. <laughs> so yeah, so ultimately, um, I, I tell the class this story, and this is why I, I I now choose someone, and I always pick someone who I've observed 
throughout the rest of the week that has a very expressive face and I make it so much easier on me just by picking a, a female who's extremely expressive, sympathetic, and I can work with as a participant in that particular trick. You're not biased. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it, again, it's a, it's a good magician who knows how to stack the deck in his favor. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, thank you guys so much for listening again this week, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. Bye.